You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Well, good morning, everybody. So, I have a message all written out, about eight pages of notes. It's about my normal thing. And so I'm going to ask for a little grace this morning because I'm not sure if we're going to do it. Um, I think it's a pretty decent little message. Um, (laughs) Got slides and everything. So, Bert, I don't know if we're going to go there this morning. We're probably, actually, I don't think we are. Um, You ever watched a movie and you already know the ending of it, but you watch it again? What's that experience like? Do you find that when you've seen the ending, like I've watched Titanic a hundred times. I don't think it's a great movie. Um, I can only take Leonardo DiCaprio but so far in my life. Um, and the, I'm the king of the world. The whole thing is just, you know, but the, but the story is, is captivating. And I've got to tell you, every time I've watched it, I really don't want the boat to sink. Um, do you understand what I'm saying? Like I watch the movie and I'm thinking maybe there's still a chance. Um, I don't know, <laughs> which, you know, it goes to show that it's got to be a good story. Um, you know, whether, we, whether you like the movie or not, for me, for me in my heart and my mind and the way, it's, the way I'm built, there's still something good enough about the story that um, even though I know the end, I get lost in the drama of it. Like, I act like somewhere in the middle of the movie that I don't know the ending, but yet if you sat beside me and asked me how it ends, I can tell you how it ends. I've seen the movie a hundred times. You know, Rose is going to be on the iceberg shivering, and, and Leo's going to be there like the man, and he's, he's going to, you know, talk to her, and then he's going to sink, and then there, at the end there's going to be a tweet, tweet, where she blows the whistle, tweet, for help. And then she's going to be fine, and in the end, you know, you know the story. If you haven't seen it by now and I spoiled it for you, I am not sorry. That movie is like old, and seriously, no history, you'll know how it ends. My point is, when I watch the movie, when I watch the movie, I'm, I'm, I know how it's going to end. And if you sit with me, I can tell you how it's going to end. But when I'm in the middle of the drama... All the emotions that are stirred from the movie, the plot line, the storyline, the whole thing, I'm just swept away by it and I don't really act as though, I don't respond as though I know the end of the movie, even though I do. There's a beautiful thing about our God, that God has already told us the end of the story. It's written in stone. There's nothing you or I or anybody's going to be able to do to rewrite the ending. All right, and the ending is so magnificent that when the ending was given to John the Apostle, he fell as though almost he were dead at the majesty and the glory of the ending of the story that we call life. Like we all know who've been in Christ for any period of time or who have come to Christ, we all know how the story's going to end. And some of us live this life as though that's the only thing that matters. 
And I don't think it does. I don't think it's the only thing that matters. I think God cares deeply about this life. And he wants us to live fully in this life. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life to the full. And Jesus, I think, meant starting right now. So I don't think we sit on our couch and eat our bonbons and just wait to go to heaven. But there's something that should happen to me, and there's something that should happen, I think, to you, that when we know the ending of the story, we define our lives then backwards. In other words, we see the ending of the story, and we know we live, we, we, we've defined our lives, so we defined our lives forward, but we live it sort of from a backwards place. So we know where it's going, we know where life is headed, we know what the ending is, and that should then somehow affect how we live now. Like, it should, it should not just affect us to the point to where we resign to it. It should affect us profoundly. The story, the end of the story should affect us so deeply that our lives are radically changed. All right, and then the language to the end of that story in Scripture is so grand. It is so majestic that it is designed to capture our imaginations in ways that literally blow our minds and lay us down at the feet of the king of kings and say, you know what, it is all yours. And then, and then, in this life, we are given... This, Eucharist, communion, Lord's Supper, whatever you want to call it. Just call it one of those three words, if you will. Where this bread is supposed to remind us with our sense of touch, smell, taste, we hear it with our ears, it it, it should remind us of the story. Every Sunday, church, every Sunday, if you're part of this church, every Sunday we come and we gather right here. I mean, not only you hear a message and we do songs and we do prayer, but every Sunday, the most important thing, and God forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think in my mind, the most important thing we do when we gather every Sunday is this. And I realize that it's the one thing we probably give the least amount of time to sometimes. And we've got to think, I think we probably need to change that. Because I got to tell you, when I get a call from a person at 11 o'clock at night and I sit down with them and they tell me that they think they would be doing the world a whole favor if they just end their life today, that just reminds me, we got to remember the story. And I'm not good enough preacher to take that much time every week and think that somehow this is going to remind us of the story through my words. This is the best sermon we see every week. If you come here and you take it out of habit, then you just don't know the story. You've forgotten. It's okay, we all forget. This is the best sermon we, we, we preach every week. And you know what? It's the best one because it's one we can't really mess up. The end of the story is this. Close your eyes, if you will. If you fall asleep, I'll wake you up in a moment. You probably needed to sleep. John, the apostle. And then he showed me the river of living water 
Let your mind see this. Sparkling like crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of this broad street of the city. A tree of life was on both sides of the river bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing it fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His slaves will serve Him. They will see His face. And his name will be on their foreheads. Night will no longer exist and people will not need lamplight or sunlight because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. See, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea, as I knew it, no longer existed. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will no longer exist, because the previous things have passed Away, And then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And so he said, Write this down because these words are faithful and true. It is done, he said to me. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. The victor will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards and the unbelievers, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which will be their second death. And they will see his face. And his name will be on his beloved's foreheads. And night will no longer exist. And people will not need lamplight or sunlight any longer because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. I, John, am the one who saw and heard these things. And when I saw and heard them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow slave with you, your brothers and prophets and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Worship God. He also said to me, don't seal the prophetic words of this book because the time is near. Let the unrighteous... Go in unrighteousness. Let the filthy go on being made filthy. Let the righteous go on in righteousness. And let the holy go on being made holy. Look, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to what he's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the blessing, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone loves and practices lying, but I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you, John, for the churches. 
And I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. Both the spirit and the bride say, come. Anyone who hears should say, come. And the one who is thirsty should come. Whoever desires should take the living water as a gift. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all the saints. Amen. You can open your eyes. You may have heard that and said, what in the world did he just read? See, here's what I think. When you read Revelation and you stop trying to make it about things that it's actually not only about, like you actually let Revelation speak, I think what you find is this. See, John was on this Isle of Patmos where he had been burned half to death and and he was isolated from everyone. But there was going to come a time when God's people were going to suffer immense persecution, immense persecution, persecution beyond anything you and I can fathom. And so Jesus, who cares deeply about his people and his church, gives John this letter. And this letter is given to John to let him catch a glimpse as to not only what things are right now, that Jesus sits on a throne, and it's a throne that you and I can't even imagine. It's a throne unshakable with all of this beauty and glory around it right now, if we could lift back the curtains of heaven, we would see Jesus on this throne. We would see what John saw, and it would be so profoundly beautiful and amazing that our only option would be to fall to our face in worship and in awe. Like, that would be the only response. Nobody would be like, oh, that's cool. We would all be on our knees and our face before the Lord at the majesty and the power that flows from this heavenly throne room scene. And church, listen to me. That is what's happening right now. That's what's there right now. And then, Jesus gives John a glimpse as to what is to come. He doesn't just stop and say, this is what is. He he now says, this is what is, but this is to come. And so he steps him into the future where then John gets a grander glimpse of it all. And John realizes then at that point that that all things are going to change. There's no longer going to be death. There's no longer going to be sorrow. There's no longer going to be tears. Everything is going to be beautiful. All of the things that have been made wrong because of sin and violence and rebellion and pride, will be made beautifully and perfectly right. And there will no longer be a need for the sunshine, because Jesus' face will be the sun. And the glory and the light that emanates from his very face will light the entire cosmos. And we then, we then will have his name written on our foreheads. We will be so identified as his beloved that you'll see it on our face. And then we'll be welcomed with him. And the Bible literally says we will reign with him forevermore. And then Jesus, what I love about the way Revelation 22 ends is Jesus then, it seems to me in the story, takes John from the future and plants him right back in the present because Jesus says this. So John, I'm coming quickly. And I want you to know I'm making all things new. Now see, that 
is the most significant piece of the story. Because what that says, church, is that right now, in the midst of everything we see, in the midst of sorrow and grief, in the midst of success and celebration, in the midst of life and in the midst of death, Jesus has said, because he is resurrected, because he's the king of kings, he is right now in the present making all things new. He's not going to make all things new. It's not something that that he's going to do. He's already written the end of the story. That's not changing, church. You can't rewrite the ending of Titanic. It's already happened. You can't rewrite the ending of the cosmos. It's already happened. And so Jesus is looking at you and me so that we would find some sense of comfort in the middle of this story that we would remember, you know the end. You know how this is going to end, Robin. You know how this whole thing is going to come to an end. And you, because you know how it's going to end, you know what I'm doing. You know then that if you know how it's going to end, you know that I love you and that I'm on a throne and there's nothing your sadness or nothing your doubt or nothing your fear or nothing your loss or nothing your perceived loss or nothing your pride or nothing your strength can ever do to shake me off the throne. I am on the throne. It is a non-negotiable. And I am on the throne to rule over you, to reign over you, but to let you know that you are a child of the king and there's nothing you can do to change that. You just have to decide whether or not you're going to live as though you know the end of the story. So my question for me, and my question for you, and my question for my dear brother last night, is are you going to live as though you know the end of the story? Are you going to live as though you know that the story has been written and is being written right now? We know, we know the story. You know that's not going to change. I don't know what's going to happen to America 20 years from now. You don't either. Depending on who you talk to, it could be good or it could be bad. But I know the end of the story. And so then I know how to live over the next 20 years. You understand what I'm saying? Like I know how to live because I know the end of the story. And I think that's why Paul, in Romans chapter 5, That's why Paul in Romans chapter 5 said what he said. This is what he says. He says, therefore, since we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God. We have wholeness. The chaos isn't going away. Peace is not the absence of chaos. Peace is an anchor in the middle of the storm. He says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've also attained access. Listen, please listen to this. Like, seriously, we are finite, sinful, selfish people, sometimes on our best day. All right, we get bent out of shape over all kinds of stuff, like Christian folk. We get bent out of shape over a song that we sing on a Sunday for crying out loud. We get bent out of shape over all kinds of stuff that I'm just going to tell you, at the end of the day, is so incredibly trite, I don't even know how to respond sometimes. Because last night, I sit across from the table of a man who's not even sure he wants to live, and we're we're getting worked up over something like that. Or like we get so bent out of shape over the fact that that I went to Chick-fil-A and asked for a number one and got a number seven. All right, now that's jacked up, all right? That's messed up. I'm not happy. 
I wanted, a, I wanted a fried chicken sandwich with fries and a sweet tea. I didn't want whatever that other thing was in that wrapper with some Coke. That's not what I was after. Right, and I know, like, like, I used to get so livid over that. And I'm thinking to myself, really? Seriously. So listen to this. Listen to the listen to this. Oh, Lord, don't let this be lost on us. Listen to these words. He says, So then we have also obtained access through Jesus by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person someone might even perhaps dare to die. But God, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If the incarnation proves anything to us, it is that no one should ever be abandoned, even if it's of their own making. Because if anybody could have abandoned us, it should have been God. But his love wouldn't let them. We do not give up on people, and we do not go give up on one another. No one should ever be alone. If there's anything the incarnation proves, it's at least that. Much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've now received this reconciliation. We've been brought back together to God through Christ. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death spread to all men because all of sin. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, it's like he gets on a tangent. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even though over those who do not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. See, Adam's a prototype of the coming one. But the gift is not like the trespass. In other words, the gift didn't like the sin. For if by one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came judgment resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. And here we are. Listen to this. Since by Adam's sin, death reigned through that one man, through Adam, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? All right, Andy, like that, that phrase, reign in life. 
You know what that means? Because I realize that there are some of us who are sitting here, we don't feel like we're reigning in anything. And I get that. Doesn't change the story. It doesn't change the story. See, the promise for you and the promise for me, if you're serving on communion, if you'll make your way to the front, please. The promise for you and the promise for me, the promise for all those who would believe, is that no matter how heavy life feels, no matter how heavy or hard things may be, no matter how difficult things may be, there's a reality that nobody can change, not even the devil himself. There is still a blood-stained cross that gave us forgiveness of sin, and there is an empty tomb that promised us resurrection now. In other words, there is still a blood-stained cross and an empty tomb. Jesus isn't climbing back on a cross. Nobody else has to climb back on it. And Jesus isn't going back to get dead again. He couldn't stay dead the first time. He's not going to stay dead again. The truth of this text and the truth of Revelation is we know the story. Our, our vision of the future is wrapped up in the reality that one day, and I don't know what all it means, it's too big for my little mind to understand, but one day we are all going to be in the presence of Jesus and we're going to rule and reign over all the world with him. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't have to figure it out. And I would encourage you not to figure it out because I don't know. I just know that I want more hair with my new body. That is all I know. And a six-pack if possible. Because we do get new bodies. I believe that. I'm rocking it. I'm just telling you. I'm the shirtless guy in heaven with the six-pack and the hair. That's me. That is promised to us as new body, new life, new world, new creation. And here's the truth of a bloodstained cross and an empty tomb. Is that reality is being unfolded before us right now. Which is why Paul uses the language and he says, you can reign in life now. And you know how you reign in life now? Is no matter what kind of hell comes before you, you still have Jesus and he's still sitting on the throne. And at some point, you and I have got to sit down and we've got to decide that we're going to take John's posture and we're going to look up in glory and say, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening in this world, but I know who's on the throne and I know whose I am. I know whose I am. I know, I know who I am. I know that I'm his kid. Amen. I know that I'm his child. I don't get it. I don't like it sometimes. I wish you would get off your throne and do something different. But I know you're still on the throne. And I know I'm your beloved. And I know what awaits me. And because I know all that, I can know how to live differently here. You can tell me no 50 times over, but I know King Jesus has already told me yes. You can say what you want to say about me. You can throw your words my way. You can denigrate me and talk bad about my mama and kick my dog. But I know what Jesus has already said about me. You can burn my house down and you can take my stuff. But I know what Jesus has said he's given me. That's the gospel. So every Sunday, we get together. And by the grace of God, we hold this bread. And we drink this wine. And I know it's just grape juice. The wine sounds a whole lot prettier than grape juice. And we, with our sense of taste and touch and smell, and we, 
brother to brother, sister to sister, we hand it to one another. Just take it, please. Yes. The bread and the wine, the body and blood of Jesus. The bread and the wine, the body and blood of Jesus for you. The bread and the wine, the body and blood of Jesus for you. The bread and the wine, the body and blood of Jesus for you. We, together, we come and we remember the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Jesus for us. And then we hand it to one another, brother to brother, sister to sister, in affirmation. And without speaking into one another's joys and without speaking into one another's sorrows, we remind one another who we are, hand to hand, heart to heart, mind to mind. And then we take this together. This is no private thing. It was never designed for that. This isn't about you and Jesus. This is about us and King Jesus. Together as a family, coming in for an hour and 15 minutes from a broken world where it's filled with news of all the things that are happening in this world and all the suffering. We come and we bring all of our issues and all of our disappointments. We come and bring all of our pride and all of our hidden and unconfessed sin. And we sit in this place together for only one hour and 15 minutes a week. Not for some spiritual pep rally, but to remember exactly who we are by making sure no one leaves this place forgetting the end of the story with the hope that we'll all live differently because we know the end. And this isn't about going to heaven. This is about knowing that heaven is coming to us. And we're supposed to live in such a way, church, that reminds other people of that truth too. When we speak words of blessing, when we give, when we demonstrate acts of compassion and mercy, when we give a cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty, when we hug someone who's just in need of a hug, when we listen to someone who's got their tears falling from their eyes, when we share in the laughter of someone else who feels like nobody's laughing with them, when we do that, we bring just a little heaven to earth and we remind ourselves of that every week, every week. This is the best sermon we'll ever hear. This one here. So please, always come. Not in anticipation of music. Not in anticipation of sermon. Not in anticipation of all the things that you might even enjoy. Come with the anticipation that you are going to gather with God's people around this table. And you're going to remember the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that should and will have some sort of impact on your life. So that you live just a little differently next week. Let's pray.